When Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, it probably looked like mission impossible to rebuild that wall. But today we come to the end of that building project in Nehemiah chapter 6, and we see uh, the mission accomplished. I want to read just the last uh, two verses of my text, verse 15 and 16 of Nehemiah chapter 6. So the wall was completed. On the 25th of the month, Elal, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today and the privilege to open the pages of Scripture And see what you did, Lord, in those days of Nehemiah. And to rejoice, O God, that you are still a God of great power and glory and grace. And Lord, as you help build those walls, we know that you are going to build your church. And your word says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord, that we can be a part of of the kingdom of God. We can be part of your church. We can be a part of those that you would use, O God. To build your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In November of 1989, we were preparing for Thanksgiving, those of us who were alive at that time. But people in East Germany were celebrating something very wonderful and really, really quite amazing. The Berlin Wall, which had for so long incarcerated them and and a communist regime was, was now about to go down. And there was cheering, there was dancing, there was singing, there was hugging, there was crying. And celebration with something that was really heard around the world. It was just a couple of years prior to that, in the summer of 1987, that our president, Ronald Reagan, gave that speech in Berlin. Remember what he said? Mr. Gorbachev... <laughs> Tear down this wall. And sure enough, a couple of years later, that, that, that happened. In the book of Nehemiah, we see another celebration that centered around a wall. Only here it was a little different. Not a wall coming down, but a wall going up. And we come then to chapter 6, and we see the mission to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem was finally accomplished. Mission impossible became mission accomplished. And the verse that we read in chapter 6, verse 16, made it very clear that this was done with the help of God. Notice, first of all, the mission was accomplished in in spite of great opposition from the enemy. I wish we could say goodbye to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem long ago, but here they are again. Everything they've done so far to stop the work had failed But they just were so relentless, they refused to give up. And even though the wall was just about finished, they had to come for one last round of tricks. Time is short. They realized that instead of attacking the group as a whole, it became very personal now. They were attacking Nehemiah because they knew that he had been the one that had encouraged the people to keep the work going. If they strike the shepherd, maybe the sheep will scatter, they probably reasoned. And so they launched what was a three-pronged attack upon Nehemiah. 
The first prong of that attack was opposition by deception. Look at verse 1. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, to Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Chepharim in the plain of Ono. Now, at first glance, that doesn't look like it's really that threatening. They just wanted to, to meet together. Maybe they wanted to talk over their differences. Maybe they had a change of heart. Maybe they wanted to become friends now. The wall is up after all. Anyhow, so let's just all be, be friends. But Nehemiah knew that there were some problems here. For one thing, it was the wrong place because Ono borders Samaria, which was enemy territory, Sanballat's home province. Nehemiah knew that you don't go into enemy territory for a friendly meeting. And besides that, it was meeting with the wrong people. These guys were not friends of Israel. They had opposed everything that Nehemiah was trying to do. And now they were after Nehemiah himself. And he knew it. And that's why he said in verse 2, they were planning to harm me. God had somehow made it known to Nehemiah that there was something wrong here. This meeting was not to be friends, but they were trying to harm me. And it was also the wrong time. I find it interesting. In verse 3, Nehemiah sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the word stop, stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah says, I got a job to do. And they sent that message to him four times, we're told in verse 4. And every time, he gave the same answer. Nehemiah was not going to listen to their request because he knew there was deception involved here. They were trying to harm him. And so when they said, let's meet on the plains of Ono, Nehemiah said, oh no, <laughs> we are not going to do this. No way. He was not going to be deceived. So the second part of their attack was, was to slander him. And they did it with an open letter, verses 5 through 7. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And here's what it says. It is reported among the nations, and Gajmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king, according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Now, was there any truth in that letter? Was Nehemiah planning to become king? Had he appointed prophets to announce this in the city that governor has now declared himself to be king, Nehemiah? You can tell it was a lie right away because the source of the information was unnamed. Did you see that? According to reports, unnamed sources, which is another way of saying this is a slanderous statement that has no basis in fact. Okay, 
Yeah, we've heard reports about this. Reports were given reliable sources. And you see those in articles, you kind of wonder now, okay, why aren't you identifying who said this? Is there some deception here? Is there some slander here? And notice how Nehemiah responded in verse 8. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged and the work will not be done. So it was just a ploy to get Nehemiah to stop. But he was not going to fall for that. So the third thing they did was to threaten him. Verse 10, when I entered the house of Shemai, the son of Deliah, son of Mehatabel, who was confined at my home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. Now, this may have seemed like a reasonable thing to do in light of the fact someone was trying to kill him. People were going to kill Nehemiah. Best to, to seek protection. But look at his response. Verse 11. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. The concern of Nehemiah here seems to revolve around the fact that there were places in the temple that he was not to go. And one author says this, Nehemiah was not a priest. And here was this false prophet suggesting that he should go into the temple as a victim seeking asylum, misusing God's house and violating the temple's prohibitions, which forbade access to holy places by anyone other than the priests. The prophet's suggestion about closing the temple doors suggests that Shemaiah intended either to lure Nehemiah into an, into an area reserved exclusively for the priests, or, with the doors closed, at least say that Nehemiah had violated these rules. Robbed of witnesses, Nehemiah's denial of a prophet's word would count for nothing. So if they couldn't stop Nehemiah in other ways, they would see if they could threaten him and then they could lure him into sin. It was an attempt, really, to attack his character. They're going to kill you, Nehemiah. Better come in the temple. And then that way they could say, oh, yeah, Nehemiah, he went into the Holy Holies. Yeah, he went in a place he shouldn't have gone. The word of one man against another. And Nehemiah was not going to walk into that trap. There was no way he was going to allow that to happen. In spite of all kinds of opposition, all kinds of threatening, all kinds of deception, all kinds of deceit, that work went on in spite of all the opposition. The second thing we learn here is that the mission was accomplished because of great dependence upon the Lord. If you've been with us as we've journeyed through this book, you know that Nehemiah was a man that consistently 
In every situation, whatever trouble came his way, he went to the Lord in prayer. And that's exactly what we see again. Verse 9, For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 14, Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. What do we learn from Nehemiah? He didn't dare carry on the work of God without God being with them. I was saying, Lord, you, you help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, enable me to do this work. Lord, I look to you. The phrase has strengthened my hands in verse 9. One author suggests that Nehemiah may be recounting or reflecting on the words of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. That's interesting. If that's the passage that comes to Nehemiah's mind, he's saying, God, help the workers, strengthen our hands, and then deal with the enemy. You deal with the enemy, O God. Don't fear. Your God will come. Divine retribution. He will come and save you. You know, Nehemiah reminds me of Moses. Moses also said, Lord, we need your help. If you're not going to go with us, we're hopeless. And Exodus 33, the Lord told Moses he was going to send an angel before him because the people of Israel had become so obstinate, God said, I might destroy them. And Moses responded in Exodus 33:15. He said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. God, if you're not going to go with me, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us. We are dependent, Lord, upon you. And that's the lesson we need to learn, don't we? We need to recognize that we can't do it alone. We need God's help. We dare not try. Lord, help us. The mission was accomplished with great dependence upon the Lord. And the third thing we noticed, the mission was accomplished with great honor to the Lord. Because Nehemiah depended upon the Lord for his every need. God was glorified through this. For one thing, think think of how this mission was accomplished in such a short time. How many days? Fifty-two days. Now that's amazing. When you think of the materials they had in those days, they didn't have all the construction material or uh, stuff like we do. To rebuild that entire wall around the whole city of Jerusalem in 52 days, that was miraculous. That was clearly the, the hand of God. And think of all the odds uh, against them. You think of the, the rubble the discouragement within, opposition from without, inflation, debt, high taxes, deception, slander, threats. <laughs> None of the people probably had any building experience. But they approached this relying on the Lord. 
And God was honored. Look at verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. So the enemies of Israel knew that God was involved in the building of this wall because it couldn't have been done without Him. That was clearly the work of God, the help of God. We read from Exodus this morning when the plagues were brought upon the land of Egypt, the plague of gnats. What did the magicians say to Pharaoh? They said, this is the finger of God. This is God working here, Pharaoh. You better pay attention. And finally, all the people are saying, Pharaoh, send them away. They're going to wipe us out. They're going to destroy us. This is the finger of God. This is the hand of God. This is the work of God. That's what the people said about this project. There was no way it could have been done without the help of God. One of the things that only God can do that is pictured in the building of this wall is the fact that God will build His church. Only God can build His church. And no one can stop Him. Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that good to know? God, the, the church is not going to be wiped out. God is going to build His church. The gates of hell cannot stop it because God is in it. <laughs> But God is working to build His church. And if you are a part of that church that Jesus is building, then you are a testimony to the world of God's power and grace. Something has happened in your life that only God can do. If you know Jesus today, if you're born again, only God could do that. Because you are spiritually dead. And you were brought to spiritual life through Jesus. And that's why the glory goes to Him, right? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Your salvation is a testimony to the world that God is building His church. Because that is something... That only God can do. To save your soul. To give you spiritual life. All glory to God. That's His work. And if you aren't a part of that church. That Jesus is building. You can be. If you come to Jesus. Listen to how Peter makes this clear. Just a few verses earlier in First Peter 2. Verse 4. And coming to Him. As to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, think of that, living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What did Peter say? Coming to him. There it is. Coming to Him is how we become a part of the church that Jesus is building. Coming to Him with our sin. Coming to Him uh, trusting His promise. It isn't complicated, is it? Come to Jesus. 
come to Jesus. Would you come to Jesus today? Say, Lord, save me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, be my Savior. Lord, make me a a testimony to the world that you've done something in my life that only you can do. This is the work of God. This is the finger of God. When you come to Jesus, then you become a testimony to the world of His grace and power. Just like that wall became a testimony to to the nations around them that this was the work of God. When you become a part of the body of Christ, the world will notice. The difference in your life will be seen. And God will receive all the glory. To God be the glory. Great things He has done, right? Let's sing that hymn as we close.